You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with disciple scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking with truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This week, I read an article that was titled this, The Top 10 Most Recognizable Brands in the World. These are the brands that no matter who you are, no matter where you go in the world, you'll recognize them. Anybody want to take a stab at what the top four are? And do not say the video uh, based off of the video you just saw. You're going to ruin my next joke, okay? What we got? Apple, boom, that is definitely on the list. Coca-Cola, dang, we're two for two. Who can get the last two? McDonald's, y'all are three for three! <laughs> We've been reading the same articles all week! Dang, we gotta branch out. Who can hit the last four? Last four, number four, number four, number four, number four. Top four? Boom, you guys four for four. Well done. Give yourself a round of applause. Well done. Well done. I'm going to tell the 11 a.m.ers. Uh, I'm going to tell the 11 a.m.ers. They better get at least three out of four. And rounding out the list, so there's your top four. Rounding out the list, number 10 is none other than Disney. Disney. I don't care who you are. Everybody in the world has been impacted by this brand. Whether it is because of their movies, or their television shows, or their theme parks, or their merchandise, 
Disney has infiltrated our lives, it has infiltrated our homes, and good God Almighty, their songs have infiltrated our brains. <laughs> Three years later, I'm still talking about Bruno, okay? All the dang time. Now, some Christians, some churches, some preachers, upon learning this information, uh, will get a little anxious, get a little nervous. They'll get a little aggravated because for them, they'll see this as a problem. They'll see because their entire worldview is set up in such a way where it's, it's only two categories. There's the sacred and there's the secular. Oh, secular, mm, that word. Uh, there's the holy, there's the unholy, there's the heavenly, and there's the earthly. And so some churches you step into, some Christians you roll with from time and time again, they see this as an issue, they see this as a problem because they'll grieve the fact that a lot of people have been impacted more by these secular things than by godly things. And I just want to push back on that a little bit. And typically how I do so when I have these conversations with these Christian friends of mine is I typically pose a question that sounds something like this. At the core, what are we really talking about? What kind of God do we worship? Do we worship a God who is insecure or a God who is incarnational? Do we worship a God who is insecure, meaning do we worship a God who sits around and pouts every time we choose something that is not explicitly Christian? Music, books, movies, you name it. Or do we worship a God who instead of being jealous of the world is consistently trying to incarnate God's self in the world? put on the world's flesh, if you will, and try to redeem this whole thing from the inside out, not the outside in. I think what we're talking about right now is a truly, it's a different God, it's a different deity altogether. And as you go back to Disney, for example, do we worship a God who pouts every single time we put on a Disney movie for our kids instead of the Christian alternative, which, by the way, have you watched any of these Christian alternatives? Sweet Lord, how many of you have watched Bible Man before? <laughs> Some of you have watched this and you still believe, and that's a miracle, friends. <laughs> if you don't believe in miracles, if you were raised on this show and you are still finding yourself in the church, you are a miracle. Do we worship a God who is consistently pouting and grumpy and jealous? Or do we worship a God who is consistently trying to find ways in the world you live in to reach you, to get your attention, to change how you see yourself, how you see the world, how you see your neighbor? When you look uh, at the parallels between gospel and Disney, it just doesn't even take very long. I'm not saying they line up perfectly but it doesn't take long to find so many of the parallels of the work that they're trying to do. Take, for example, one of the really big parallels between the two in the Christian gospel and in the gospel of Disney is this idea of calling, right? This idea of calling. It doesn't take you long to sit around and watch these movies and to hear the messaging of saying, let's help you find who you're supposed to be. Let's help you discover who God's created you to be. Let's help you discover your meaning and your purpose and how God wants to use you in this world. And 
How in the world would God have a problem with that message? How could God not love characters like Ariel, like Moana, like Luca, just to name a few, who are trying like crazy to reach being the people that they were designed to be? How could God not be behind that? In fact, as we go back to our scripture passage for today, this is actually something that the early church was really hell-bent on. They not only wanted to teach you the core aspects of the Christian faith, they wanted to teach you who this Jesus person was, but they also were adamant about getting you involved in the movement and finding your place in it. So, without further ado, let's jump back into our passage for today. If you have your Bibles handy and you want to follow along, go ahead and return back to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, again, if you're watching this online, feel free to hit pause and uh, locate a Bible and uh, get Ephesians 4 out. Um, to give you a little bit of context of our passage that you just heard read a moment ago, uh, so Brittany read a passage for us from a letter. It's a letter written by Paul, one of the early church leaders, to a church in Ephesus. And the theme of this letter, it's a, it's a, again, it's, it's several chapters long, and so there's several different themes to this letter. This is not the only thing Paul talks about. Paul talks about the importance of reconciliation. Paul talks about the importance of unity in the church. These are two big core themes of Ephesians. But also embedded in this book, in the letter, is this theme of calling, of purpose, of we need to help you as church members find what your role is in this kingdom movement we've all been swept up in. What does it say? Go back to our passage for today, verses 11 and 12. He, being God, God gave some people the gift of apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, God's purpose is to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. And I love this. Skip down two verses to verse 14. He says this. Paul writes, as a result, we're not supposed to be infants any longer. I love this. What he's trying to correct early in the church's existence is this mindset that being church, going to church, being a Christian is just learning about God's movement in the world. I just need to take more Bible studies and more uh, curriculum, more small group studies. I need to learn more. It's like, yes, learn more. But if you don't want to be an infant in your faith, if you want to be mature, if you want to grow in your faith, eventually you're going to have to move from just sort of receiving the news of who Jesus is to actually jumping in the game and playing a role in this Whether we're willing to admit it or not, everybody is searching for that. Everybody is hungry for that. I read a couple of other articles earlier this week. Hopefully you didn't read them or you're going to spoil all the stats I'm about to read. Um, that found this, found that only 47%, 47% of Americans who were polled, this was actually uh, two years old as well, so I wonder sometimes if the pandemic changed things, but only 47%, not even half, of the people you roll and walk around with every day feel like their life possesses greater meaning. This year alone, in 2023, the most asked question on Google in 2023 so far, and we're only halfway through, was this question, why? Why? Now, some of the why questions were 
hilarious, um, by the way. Here's a couple of them. And so when you look at this list, by the way, I got questions. Like, Y'all are living some weird lives if these are the questions that you're regularly putting into your search engine. But interwoven into those, interwoven into these questions were also really deep questions. Why do I exist? Why can't I find meaning and purpose? Why am I in this job? Why am I married to this person? Why, why, why? And I think one of the most startling parts of that same study, that same article, was this realization that when people are asking those questions, they're asking them of Google, they're asking them of a whole bunch of different places, but actually only 20% of them are actually asking them in here. Only 20% of people are finding that meaning of the 47%, a small number regardless, already, only 20% of that 47% are actually finding those answers here. They normally find them in, so the, the, the list looked like this. We're number four, by the way. Uh, Family was number one, career number two, money and wealth was number three, spirituality and faith barely was number four. And so I want to seize this opportunity. I want to seize this opportunity that if you, if there's any part of you who finds yourself asking these questions of why do I, why am I even here? Why do I even exist? I want to seize this opportunity, and I want to team up with Disney, and maybe, just maybe, we can find some answers to these questions. Now, I'm going to warn you, okay? I'm going to warn you. If that is you in any way, any stretch, any form, you're going to have to overcome two really monster obstacles if you want to find answers to that question, if you want to find more meaning, more purpose for your existence. Two really big obstacles. The two, the people who are finding meaning and purpose, they're finding calling, they're finding a place where they can use their God-given gifts and talents of, and actually do something really influential in the world are people who have dared to do two things. They've dared to make mistakes dared to be misunderstood. They dared to make mistakes, and they dared to be misunderstood. Let's break these down one at a time. The first, if you want to be someone who truly finds and makes your life count, you're going to have to dare to make mistakes. You're going to have to go through that really awkward season where you stumble and fumble, and you're not good at it, and you don't know which way to go, and you don't know how to be this thing that you feel like you're supposed to be, you're going to have to be willing to risk failure. Now, in Scripture, we have a word for this, right? We say one of the hallmark disciplines, one of the hallmark traits of a Christian, Romans chapter 5, is this. It's perseverance. We take pride in our problems. We take pride in our setbacks. We take pride in our failures because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I'm not trying to be flippant or facetious here. I'm dead serious. If you are someone who is unwilling to risk making mistakes, I would highly advise you not to follow Jesus. 
first Bible study I ever led in college. The entire time, I called him Job. Everyone was ridiculously confused. They kept nudging each other. They were like, is this a career counseling group? Or I thought I was here for a Bible study. If you're not willing to go through that green season where you stumble into your calling, don't even try. Don't even set out on it. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, some of you have heard this quote before. Uh, that says this, that if you want to truly master something, you want to be really good at something, it takes 10,000 hours. Raise your hand if you've heard this quote before. 10,000 hours. If we're talking about a full-time job, that's five years. Five years. My wife just started a new job. She's in year one. Five years until you actually feel like you know what the heck you're doing. And I think a lot about it in terms of that and Disney believed that same message. Walt Disney believed that core message to himself. He wrote this one time, and I love this. He says, I found that sometimes the only difference between winning and losing is just don't frickin' quit. Keep losing until you win. Keep losing. Keep fumbling. Keep making mistakes until you finally go, holy cow, now I'm finally starting to find that I'm aligning with something really meaningful and purposeful for my life. It is sad to me how many people I know who they're so afraid of losing, they're so afraid of making mistakes that what they do is every time that happens to them, they bail. They bail. And they fail to actually adhere to the wisdom of, oh, I don't know, the Lion King, where Rafiki says this. Yes, the past can hurt. I'm not going to try uh, the accent. Yes, the past can hurt. But the way I see it is you can either run from it or you can learn from it. And it's amazing to me, it's sad to me, how many people run from it. They make a mistake, they fumble out of the gate, they stumble out of the gate, and they go, yeah, well, okay, well, I'm just going to go find something else. And so they spend their entire life lost because they can't bear the feeling of what if I do it wrong. And so, friends, I want to encourage you that if you have any desire to do this, uh, you're going to have to face this. In fact, this is actually how we try to parent. We're trying to install this, uh, inst sorry, instill this in our kids. Uh, some of you know this because I've had this conversation that uh, one of our kiddos is taking Taekwondo. And uh, he's one of the early belts. He's a yellow belt. And one of the way that Taekwondo works, some of you know this because your kids are in Taekwondo, but one of the ways it works is when you go there and you master something, so you do something they've been teaching you how to do, you get a stripe on your belt. You get a stripe on your belt. And so there comes a time, Marie and I always look at each other at the very end of every class where they hand out the stripes. And when Everett does not get a stripe, <laughs> it is as if the world has ended. He runs over to us, bawling, crying, and then he says these words, I hate this, I'm not doing this anymore, I quit! And so our refrain to him every time, our refrain to him every time, is I always ask him this question. I go, hey buddy, real quick. I'll point to another kid who's like a green belt or blue belt or whatever, and I'll say, how long has that kid been doing it? He's like, I don't know. I was like, okay, well I do know years. How long have you been doing it? He goes, 
I don't know either. They don't have any concept of time. <laughs> like 10 years? I don't know. I feel like I've been here forever. You've been doing it for five months, okay? So let's take a beat. Let's take a minute. You've been doing this for about five minutes, and so you don't know what you're doing. And so we instill in him all the time, if you want to be that, it's going to take time. You're going to have to keep showing up. You're going to have to keep trying. You're going to have to keep failing. And so if you want to be someone who wants to find more meaning and purpose in your life, are you willing to face that reality? Are you ready to face that possibility? The other one is this. So not only uh, those of you who find yourself searching for this, searching for more meaning and purpose in your life and your existence, you want to make your life count, not only are you going to have to dare to make mistakes, you're also going to, and this is fine, we find this riddled throughout the Gospels and riddled throughout every Disney film, you are going to have to risk, you're going to have to dare to be misunderstood. That's the other risk, defining real meaning and purpose of your life. You're going to have to run the risk that other people are going to start talking about you. Like, oh, we don't see her enough anymore. What is she doing? Let's see. Oh, he's doing, like, he's, like, hanging out at church, and I don't know, he's, like, reading more, and, like, I don't know, he's, like, visiting a therapist. I don't know. Like, this is, he used to be cool, and I don't know. If you want to find meaning and purpose, not everyone's going to understand or support you in that endeavor. Again, we find this throughout the Gospels. One of my favorite lines uh, from Paul is he writes this. He says, I'm no longer ashamed of the gospel. I'm no longer ashamed of who God's called me to be. I'm no longer ashamed of chasing after the answers to these questions. I don't care if you don't like it. I like it. And this is who I want to be because it's my life. It ain't yours. eating away, and I have to be this. I don't care who it lets down or who it disappoints. Again, we find this in Disney. We find so many examples of this. It's actually hard to pin down. Probably my favorite example of this, though, was in Mulan. Oh, I love Mulan. Damn it, it's so good. Those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you because it's 25 years old, so get with the program. <laughs> There's a scene earlier in the movie where Mulan, the daughter, is in a predicament. Her country is fighting against an evil empire. The army won't allow women to participate. Her dad will definitely not let her participate, but he's too weak to fight, so they can't send anyone from their family. And so she's faced with this conundrum. All her life, she's felt like a warrior. She's felt like someone. That's who she was. That's who she was supposed to be. No one else understood it. Her parents didn't understand it. Her society didn't understand it. And so she had a choice to make. This is one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie is when she makes that choice. Check it out. Loyal, brave, and true.
Are you willing to be who you are supposed to be, who you truly want to be, even if other people don't understand? When I think back on my own journey, when I think back on my own path, what's so fascinating is I think a lot about that passage where Paul says, uh, I'm no longer ashamed of the gospel. What's fascinating about that passage is a lot of times Christians read it today and we're like, yeah, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel in front of non-believers. What's fascinating about both Paul's day and today's day is any shame or any persecution or any ridicule that Paul would have been experiencing, it wasn't on behalf of the non-believers. It was on behalf of the people who were already a part of the religious institution. And that has been my experience. The only people who I have been, felt like I was supposed to feel shame or feel like I was doing something wrong in embracing this, uh, who I understood myself to be and for whom God to be, it was, never for pe- it was never by people outside the church. It was by people in here. I'll never forget, I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. In fact, I have it saved on my computer and I like use it as motivation. I'll never forget the time when um, early on, early on, uh, in response to what I was teaching, in response to how I was leading, in response to who I believe God to be, particularly, uh, I wrote a a post uh, on inclusion. It's Pride Month, so it feels uh, appropriate to do that. It was one of the first times I ever wrote on this publicly, talking about the importance of it and the importance of loving and affirming and fully including all of God's LGBTQ children. And I'll never forget, a couple hours after the post, uh, someone from my old church, someone who actually helped raise me in the faith, they wrote me this private message, and this is just an excerpt. Gotta love, by the way, like subtle Christian insults. (laughs) You've never been insulted by a Christian unless they've said, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) I ain't sitting next to you during a lightning storm. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'll never forget that because it was the first time in my life when a mentor of mine used to say this to me all the time. He, had, he was so full of wisdom. He used to give me these quotes, and especially as a newly minted 20-something-year-old, he used to give me this quote all the time. And it was the first time that that quote really actually made sense. He said this. He said, in your 20s, you care what everyone thinks of you. In your 40s, you don't care what anyone thinks of you. And this is where, like, the people in the 40s are like, yeah, we discovered it, we found it. And then you get kicked in the mouth by the 60s who go, and in your 60s you realize no one was thinking about you all along. (laughs) They were thinking about themselves. The message I got on Facebook that day, it wasn't about me. They weren't thinking about me, they were thinking about them. And I think one of the reasons why I put this in front of you is because it! I want to live according to the wisdom of that last line. I want to start, I don't want to wait till then. I want to start right now living according to the understanding 
that I just don't care what anyone thinks of me other than God. I want to reach the end of my life and the only person I have to answer to for who I was and how I lived and how I chose to lead was the one who made me this way and revealed the things to me that this God did. That's the only opinion I care about. What about you? What about you? close here. One of the dangers of whenever you uh, get up and you preach about calling in the church and you preach about purpose and finding meaning is, I already know what a lot of you are thinking, uh, that who ask these questions, the first rebuttal is, I don't know where to start. Like, I would love to know how the heck to find my meaning, my place in this world, but I don't actually know where to start. And so on a super practical matter, on a super practical matter, before we close, I want to point these out to you that we actually, this is why uh, we created uh, how to discover your calling worksheets, okay? Who likes homework? Woo! Um, how to discover your calling worksheets. They're right there on the end tables as you leave here today. They're in like one of those little acrylic uh, stand-up things. And so I want to encourage you as you leave here today, if you find yourself in that place, to take one with you. Do the work. Don't just listen to this sermon, please, for the love of God. Don't just listen to this and then go, that was sweet and cute, and then just go on with your merry life. Like, take this home, do the work. And we try to make it really simple. We try to help you, we give you tools to help you identify what are your gifts, what are your skills, what are the causes that you care the most about in the world, and then here's the magic. You find where all three of those things align. That's your calling. Sure. Do some people have these moments where God like shows up and goes, hello, this is what you're going to do. Yes, sure. But for the rest of us, it's doing the work of finding why Jesus puts you on this earth. And so now the practical stuff's out of the way and you don't have an excuse. I want to end by saying this, that the last obstacle every time I have to overcome, that we have to overcome whenever we talk about calling and purpose and finding meaning in your life, is that many of you, when you leave here today, not only will you face the obstacles of daring to make mistakes or daring, risking being misunderstood, but the other and the biggest of all of them is many of you will leave here today and there will be a million responsibilities, chores, commitments, and things waiting for you. And you will forget how you feel right now. You will go home and you'll go grocery shopping and you'll forget the urgency that you feel in your bones about making sure you reach the end of your life and you reach the end and it actually mattered. It counted for something. You'll forget. And so my last plea this morning is just don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait any longer. One of you pulled me aside a couple weeks ago and you said, Kyle, like recently I've discovered you've had more urgency in your preaching. Is that true? And I said, absolutely. There's a lot more urgency in my preaching lately. You want to know why? It's because, friends, take a look around. Take a look around. Take a look around at the state of the church. 
right now. It, doesn't, it just requires eyes to see that, friends, we've got a credibility problem, we've got a trustworthiness problem, we've got an attraction problem. People don't even see showing up and doing this thing even worth their time. I hate to break it to you. If this is news to you, like, I'm sorry, but right now, the hypocrisy, the inconsistency found within the church, the capital C church, is only getting worse. And here's my warning to you. The longer this goes on, the greater risk we run that one day God will move on from the church to accomplish God's mission in the world. Did you know that? Did you know that this actually wasn't God's mission? God's mission was to redeem and reconcile all of creation. The church was the means to that mission. And so what that means is if God finds God's self in a place where the method that God has been using to accomplish his mission is no longer effective, God has, has done it before, and will do it again. And we'll wake up one day finding that we are the recipients of the good news rather than the instruments of it. And so yes, is there urgency? You darn right there is. I ain't waiting no more. The time is right now. If we want a shot at salvaging and restoring and reforming this beautiful gift of the capital C church that God has given to us, the time is the time was yesterday. And I'll just talk to you as an individual. Life is fast, dude. My wife and I just celebrated 11 years married. Our kids are six and eight. I feel like I'm going to blink and we're going to be 50. And so if you don't feel urgency for the church, good God, I hope you feel urgency for your own life because you're going to wake up at the end of your, and the end of your life is going to be here before you know it. Did it count? Did it matter? It's up to you. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.